welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 28 of the Simply Fit podcast. And today I have another guest lined up for you, and it is a pretty damn impressive guest as well. Today we have Danny Lai, who is a very, very good friend of mine and a very, very good coach too. And he has upwards of about a decade of experience in the industry right now. He's diving deep into functional medicine and is in touching difference of becoming a naturopathic nutritionist. But it wasn't always that easy. Uh, Danny actually started out with a scholarship in America in semi-professional football, which didn't end in the best of ways, but it took him on this path into the health and fitness industry where he is really, really stayed the test of time and it's improved year on year. So I'd like to introduce you all to Danny Lai, who's actually going to give us a little bit more of his story in just a moment. How are you doing today, Danny? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. You're more than welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. So I want the audience to get to know you a little bit better. Like I said, we were just digging into your story and there's a few things that I didn't even know. So I'm looking forward to hearing this myself. So in around like a you know five minute synopsis of you as an individual, how you got to where you are today, give us your superhero origin story. Yeah, so my story begins uh, as a little kid, obviously um, playing football, trying to become a professional as most kids uh, in the UK are. So I tried out for a few professional teams here in the UK, played a bunch of semi-professional football, never really got my lucky break, should I say, and then found myself going to college in America where I got a soccer scholarship. The ultimate aim was to become a professional footballer out there as well, get into the MLS, but it didn't happen. And essentially what happened was towards the end of my degree, things weren't looking that well in terms of becoming a footballer. So my buddy in back in the UK actually got us both a trial for a French team. So I literally packed up, I left America, went to France with him and uh, tried out for this French team. Neither of us got in. So literally came back home with my tail between my legs, no professional contract, no degree. And yeah, literally just, you know, no money, nothing. About 21, I'd say I was. Then I started applying for anything and everything, right? From you know becoming a postman to overnight shifts at Asda, and then literally nobody accepted my my CV. You know what was wrong with my CV, and you know obviously applied to loads of different gyms, and then literally got into a gym in Belsize Park, Hampstead, mm-hmm. and then literally the rest is, uh, is history. That's amazing. I can't believe you would it could have been a postman. What a what a shame for the industry that would have been if you ended up being a postman and not a health and fitness professional. Postmen serve a lot of people, man. They do serve a lot of people. They do. They they definitely deliver. <laughs> That's terrible, right? So just a quick one off the back of that. So when did the love for health and fitness come? Because I don't have a similar background, but I was very interested in football. I was nowhere near as um, gifted as you. I clearly I didn't make any professional trials or anything like that. But that's where that was my sport when I was younger. And then I ended up having an injury. Actually, it started a little bit earlier. I started training, then I had an injury, and then I had no choice but to train. And then I was like, oh, I actually like the health and fitness thing um, more than the football thing. I'm not going to make it pro, so let me you know, put my eggs in this basket instead. So when did your love for health and fitness come within playing soccer, playing football? Yeah, I think it's quite similar to yourself, right? And, and, and a lot of guys out there who you know, didn't make it as a professional footballer love working out. 
Uh, and you know, it's, it's a very easy transition to you know go into the to the gym industry, where you know you can help others through your own you know the the inspiration that you can impart with just by them seeing the way you train, and obviously being able to train yourself in the gym makes it a, a very easy transition. So. Yeah, I've always been into training and, and fitness, and I think that's just a, a very natural segue mm. for myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Since I know you as Danny, the body transformation coach, Danny, who's into his functional medicine, but how were your early stages in your career, especially your fitness career, more so? Yeah, so the the gym that I worked in um, in Belsize Park, where I met a bunch of you know, really great talented trainers who have had you know ten years in the industry, mm-hmm. and some of them who you know I've, I've made really good friends with. Some of our, some of them are really my, you know best friends I'd call today. And back then they were all doing bio signature, so I, I dived into that and, and did it my, for myself. I didn't actually get taught by the man himself, Mr. <laughs> Polycrin, R.I.P. But you know taught by a, a, you know a bunch of really really smart individuals, and that really um, was the first chance I got into you know, developing my own myself professionally, personally, being able to deliver more for my clients and my first experience into the world of functional medicine. Yeah, that's super interesting. I find that, you know, now I've actually spoken with people, like all three of the guests who've come on so far have this level, a decade plus of experience. And that's actually not that normal. Like if you actually look at the average life expectancy of a, of a personal trainer, it's like max one or two years. I don't know what it is these days, but I know three or four years, it was probably even less due to COVID now, right? Um, and it's interesting to get that uh, understanding of where your career went, because it seems to split itself into two halves. It did for me as well, and it's done for everyone else I've spoken to. It was like, there was the period when they were a personal trainer, and then there was the you know that point where the line was crossed and they discovered that they actually could take people's bodies to the next level. Because the personal, yeah, just to give the listeners a bit of context, like personal training is fantastic. However, you are just kind of instructing exercise. You're not really having this transformative impact on someone's lives. Whereas when you understand like, you know, how to really shift someone's body composition, transform them, you know, understand the depths of, you know, exercise physiology and nutrition and actually make that significant impact. It's like, it's almost a new lease of life that actually does have legs. Whereas I feel like being just a personal trainer, there's not many people who are just going to stay as a personal trainer for years and years and years, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't get me wrong. The gym that I worked in, in Belsize Park slash Hampstead, there were some really good trainers, but there were some really bad trainers as well, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, you almost call them just uh, rep counters, right? Where yeah. you just literally, you know, get being paid to count reps. I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going into bio, bio, bio signature, sorry, and learning about functional medicine and being exposed to the world of um, optimal health, inflammation, hormones, and that sort of stuff was a great way for me to, you know, I guess, shine through the, the rest of the crowd and, and essentially deliver more for my, for my clients. Absolutely. And I feel like that's what everyone should be striving for now is like, especially if you're a young personal trainer or you're early in the industry, like that's what you should be looking towards, right? It's like at the end of the day, it's same as any job. You want to find that way in which you can do better on your deliverable, whatever that is, whether it is delivering packages from Amazon or whether it is delivering body transformations, right? And like once you're able to do that and tap into it, you know, then it actually has legs in it and longevity because of, I say this to a lot of people, you know, apart from like emergency services, there aren't that many jobs where you can actually have a profound impact on changing someone's life. And I never used to say that because I was like, ah, that sounds really pretentious. It sounds like, you know, I'm making myself out to be more than I am, but you've probably had people say it to you. I've had people say it to me, like you genuinely have impact on people's lives. And, you know, once you are in 
a profession where you can do that, you know, that's purpose, right? That's what keeps you going. That's what gets you out of bed in the morning, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're not you know, moving forward and learning, you're essentially you know, stagnant and potentially even going backwards, right? So you've got to find the thing that piques your interest and you're passionate about. And luckily for me, it was functional medicine and, you know, understanding how not to only just help individuals, you know, lose weight, lose fat and, and build muscle, which is, you know, my, my bread and butter and, and my first love, but also helping individuals overcome chronic conditions and diseases which yeah. is so prevalent these days and once you find that thing that that you know you really click with i think that's going to provide longevity in your career i could not agree more that's no, brilliant it's all really good to hear and the industry is thankful to have you so moving on to the topics today so we're actually going to keep it in the traditional format you know you're very diverse in your range of knowledge so i want to tap into it by uh you know training nutrition and mindset i'm going to get started with a nutrition question today and uh, specifically on the topic of metabolism as well so a lot of people will talk about having a fast or a slow metabolism for the most part people just assume they have one or the other right and there isn't much premise on those assumptions other than they might feel like they gain weight quite quickly, they might lose weight quite quickly. But realistically, you know, a lot of that can be down to what they actually eat as opposed to their internal workings, right? So I want to ask you, what is the difference between having a high metabolism and a low metabolism or a high metabolic rate and a low metabolic rate? And how much does that change during the course of someone's dieting phase, for example? Yeah, you've opened up a massive can of worms here, which we can take in so many different directions. I like to do that. <laughs> I think to keep it relatively simple and straightforward, you know, just for, for the listeners that aren't too familiar with what metabolism actually is, metabolism is just essentially the, the balance between the calories that you're bringing into your body through the food that you're eating and obviously what you're drinking versus the calories that you're burning. Okay, so the calories that you're burning is made up of primarily three things. So the, the largest component of your calories burned is your basal metabolic rate, which is um, essentially how many calories your, your body needs to survive. So if, imagine you're lying down on your bed all day doing nothing but blinking and breathing, how many calories your body needs to survive. And this is usually reflected by your height and your weight, so how, how, how big you are as a person. And that's about 60% of the, the calories that you burn. The next 30% is made up of your exercise and your non-exercise. Okay, so think about your training sessions and then think about all the other sort of non-purposeful exercise, so your walking, your, your fidgeting, and your hand gesticulating, and that's about 30%. And then your five or 10% is made up of something called your thermic effect of food, also known as thermogenesis, is literally how many calories you, your body burns digesting the food that you eat. Mm -hmm. So that's your metabolism in a nutshell. And obviously, if you eat more than you burn, you're going to gain weight and vice versa. If you eat less, you're going to start losing weight. Now, in terms of a faster metabolism, it's going to come largely down to genetics, but also uh, how big you are as a person, right? So if you're a large individual, you're going to have a faster metabolic rate. What we see when we diet is that your body or your metabolism reacts to your, to your diet and it's quite adaptive. So think about, you know, you're 10 weeks in, 12 weeks into your diet, your body's going to want to have a, a protective mechanism to stop you from starving yourself to death, right? Because think about it, if you were to just continually diet and diet and diet, you'd literally diet yourself into non-existent, right? Which is not going to happen. So your body has a survival mechanism in the background 
to stop this from happening. So what it does, it dials down your metabolic rate. It dials down the amount of calories that your body burns through exercise. Okay, so one of the great examples I like to use is that you know a 70 kilo female before a diet might burn, let's say for example, 400 calories doing an hour uh, training, mm-hmm. an hour training session. That, that same individual then loses 10 kilos and is now 60 kilos. Doing the same training session, they'll probably burn a lot fewer calories. Okay, so, so, so for, instance, for instance, they might burn 200 calories. What they did, what studies actually shown is that if you made that individual wear a weighted vest to account for that difference in weight loss, the amount of calories that you're burning is still going to be considerably fewer, right? Which is quite fascinating, which basically means that your body becomes a lot more efficient at using up the calories that you're bringing into the body, right? It knows how to stretch a calorie. It knows how to make you become more economic with your calories, okay? And then obviously largely down to your BMR as well, with that 60% of calories that you're burning, that's going to be dialed down quite considerably as well. But I think it's also important to note that these adaptations happen considerably more the deeper you are into your diet. Yeah. So for instance, if you've just you know decided to New Year's New Year's Eve, New Year's resolution, you know, four weeks in, that's probably not going to happen to you. Right. But if you are someone that's you know 16 weeks in, 20 weeks in, this then this adaptation could you know very well potentially be happening. And the, the leaner you get, again, this is something that might be happening in the background. More often than not, what's actually happening when somebody can't lose weight is they're probably not being rigorous enough in their tracking of calories. And you know, because as human beings, we're just so so bad at being accurate with. You know, tracking our calories and remembering what we've eaten and on the flip side as well we're, it's super hard to track how many calories you're burning right the devices that you're wearing your apple watch they're, they're all pretty you know inaccurate when it comes to how many calories you're burning so we're left with this sort of situation environment where you know it's quite tough to be accurate so we you know i think blaming our metabolism is a bit of a cop-out Agreed. Agreed. And on that note, actually, so two questions. The first is that's why I genuinely don't believe in plateaus. And that's quite a controversial statement. But for like 99% of people, I genuinely don't think they exist because I know how hard it is to keep my nutrition in check, my training, my sleep, my stress management. And like you've got to bear in mind that sometimes these things are out of your control as well, right? Let's say next door neighbor's baby is keeping you up all night because they're crying. You know, you can't control that variable with your sleep, right? There's only so much you can do. So when most people say, oh, I feel like I've run into a plateau i'm like well you know i look at all of these in a lot of depth like are you tracking your nutrition down to the gram are you giving everything in your training sessions and quite it's very unlikely if you're being truly honest with yourself that you're doing all those things and we know that as health and fitness professionals that it's very hard to do that consistently and if they are i'll be like well do it for another 14 days and let's see what happens and then either they can't control all their variables for that long or they realize oh i actually make progress again probably because of subconsciously they've upped their game a little bit right and like you said the uh, the blaming on the metabolism probably a bit of a cop-out which we'll go into in just a second but the second question i had on that is when you said the body wants to go back to homeostasis right and it gets very efficient we spoke before and i think i touched on this in my last episode of reverse dieting how you know naturally with neat you're just going to move less you're going to do less hand gestures you're going to sit down more and everything like that but how does the bmr does that adapt as well like does it's like obviously 
females will stop their menstrual cycle. Obviously, that takes a lot of energy uh, when that time of the month comes. Does any of the internal bodily functions like kind of switch off or downregulate so that the BMR obviously is less responsible how many calories are burnt? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, again, very, very hard to, you know, accurately track that unless you're in a lab somewhere. But, you know, there is a very, you know, uh, backdoor way of calculating this, um, which we won't go into. But essentially, yes, your, your BMR can drastically reduce. So after a diet, you know, there's this formulas that we can obviously use to, to calculate somebody's predicted BMR. And then obviously, if that doesn't match somebody's actual BMR, then obviously there's going to be that discrepancy. Again, very, very hard to, to, to sort of pinpoint, mm. but absolutely that can happen. Interesting. And I think for reference as well, most calculators are fairly inaccurate, right? So I would never put down my BMR to, to a certain rate and just accept it's being there because it's, it's almost, yeah, almost impossible to really predict, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the calculators are there as a, just a general guidepost, isn't there? Isn't it? No plan is ever going to be perfect. So whether you are using the calculator or not to figure out your BMR, just run with it and see what happens and make adjustments need be from a weekly and a bi-weekly standpoint if things aren't really moving. I think that's uh, sound advice. And obviously now we know, you know, what is the difference? So if someone finds themselves with maybe perhaps a slower metabolism when they're starting out their journey, how do they approach that? Do, you know, is it something that holds them back? Is that something that they want to be working on? Where would you say they go if they do identify that potentially they do have a slower metabolic rate? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. I think it's very, very applicable for individuals who have a history of yo-yo dieting mm -hmm. or potentially if you've you know, been chronically on a diet, you know, how many individuals do you know that are just forever dieting, right? Mm -hmm. If you're dieting for large chunks of the year, followed by overfeeding, then potentially you're going to have a slow metabolism. In those scenarios, your best course of action is to do a sustained reverse diet to build your metabolism up. And you have to play the long game here. It's not going to be what you want to hear, but you, know, you don't want to diet on really, really low, unsustainable calories, right? You want to just take the time to improve your metabolism by reverse dieting and building that BMR up so you can diet from, from a position of strength, let's say. No, totally. That makes a lot of sense. And um, I think a lot of people will underestimate that impact that yo-yo dieting and dieting for years has had on their system and their metabolism itself, especially if you've not gone through a reverse diet to really try to recover from that to be completely honest because i think we underestimate the impact that that has and i mean if you if you want an example of this if you've dieted in the past and you were like well this diet worked really well and i was eating 15 1600 calories and i was dropping plenty of body fat and then all of a sudden you try it again at 15 1600 that's you know there's a good chance there that the metabolism down regulated and you didn't recover well from that last diet right yeah, absolutely. I, I like to use the analogy of, I don't know why I always go back to this analogy, but I always say, imagine you've um, you know, been in an accident and you, you, know, you, you broke some bones in your legs or something and you're in the hospital, they perform surgery on you and your, your legs are working fine now. They're obviously going to keep you in, in the hospital to, you know, for rehab, right? And you're going to need to slowly build up in your therapy from maybe walking 10 meters to 20 meters to 30 meters Right? And it's like, if you don't reverse diet properly, you could potentially be, say, up to 30 meters of your rehab and then say, right, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm going to leave the hospital, go out into the real world and only be restricted to walking 30 meters. And anytime you need to walk longer or further than that, you're hesitant. 
right? So they're just literally the same with your calories, right? After after dieting, after yo-yo dieting, if you haven't done a successful reverse, you're gonna your your the, the calories that you can have before you gain weight is gonna be unsustainably low, and and it's just only gonna create confusion and challenges when you're you know, in social environments or you know, takeaways, what have you, especially when you know lockdown lifts and you know we can be more social again. So you know, spending the, the, the required time in the hospital doing the therapy and building your calories back up to a safe and sustainable place is, is you know, what I typically like to encourage. I like that analogy. We like analogies on this podcast. And um, I think to touch on that, I think what's worth mentioning as well is this, this is sometimes the harsh reality of a fat loss phase, you know, when someone will get into a position where, you know, they're working with us, we've dieted them down for like 20 kilos, which is like 15, 10, whatever it is, like it's a significant amount for their body frame, yet they're still not at that level. Yet the calories have gotten to a point where they are pretty unsustainable. They're doing a high amount of activity. And sometimes, you know, if you've got a silly, mentality like myself you'll grind through and you'll make yourself unhealthy whereas in reality this is where it comes back to what you said in playing the long game you actually want to just then you know stick reverse and go again you know and i always say like you have to uh, live to diet another day and sometimes it's just not worth going into those real real downward plays i mean sometimes it is uh, it depends on your dieting history your mentality your physical and emotional health at that time but quite often it's worth like okay let's you know bank this win build back up and go again but it, it's a hard thing for people to accept it definitely took me some time to accept as well but yeah if you play in the long game it will really really benefit both you know your physique in the long term but also your your health which is the most important thing right yeah exactly so imagine you were 100 kilos and you had to get down to 70 to be in a healthy bmi let's say for example you diet for let's say you get down to 80 kilos right you reverse back up to 85 perhaps you just basically in that process create a better environment for yourself like you say you bank that win you take the five kilo loss but then next time around you can you can dive from a position of strength and, and go for a second leg as opposed to you know carry on going and, and going deeper and deeper into a deficit is only going to create more struggles uh-huh. And you might even re like ruin your relationship with dieting and this journey as well. And that can be detrimental because you don't want to go back into it. Whereas if you bank your wins there and you reverse up, you ha you've had a pretty pleasant experience with dieting. Then when it comes around to it, like you said, you're going to stay within five kilos of potentially your leanest at that time. You're no longer having to drop 20 kilos to get in shape. You're not going to have to quote unquote suffer as much because you're only going to be five kilos away from where you were before. And they should come off and maybe like, you yeah, know, first six to 12 weeks. And then you've just got that next phase which is going into new areas that you've never been before and you you know you might have more muscle you've got a better m metabolism you're a much better place to diet so i think that's a good place to wrap up there and good thing to notice so now i want to transition onto some training questions and i see well i used to when we were in the gyms i used to see a lot of people picking some very interesting choices of exercises right we used to have people doing single leg bosu ball squats we have people uh, doing one arm walking i don't know lunges you know all of these have their place right but i want to know like how do you go about picking the right exercises for you let's say you do just want to you know most people just want to build some muscle and lose some fat like do people have any any premise to go into these areas of these very esoteric unique exercises or what's you know what's the rationale where, where do we go when picking our exercises well i think like success leaves clues right mm. so 
you know, I think when it comes to optimal body composition, we don't need to look any further than bodybuilders. Now, whether you want to look like a bodybuilder is another story, but I think, you know, taking into account what they do and applying it to yourself is going to be efficient and, and optimal, right? So, you know, we, all, we, we need to look into, you know, using the largest muscle groups in the body initially, yeah, right? So whether it's split squats, lunges, deadlifts, chest press, using our big muscle groups to create a, a sufficient calorie burn and obviously to help us produce more muscle fibers or stronger muscle fibers, is only going to be beneficial for our body composition. But also we need to factor in the enjoyment process, right? So finding something that you enjoy doing. Yep. That's going to help you stick to the plan. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And um, in terms of these exercises, let's say that someone is got those goals, but they find the basics, let's say, quite boring. Where do you go with that? Obviously, like you said, you want to pick exercises that are entertaining, but then how far away do you want to take yourself from your goal, if you see what I mean? Do you opt for a less optimal, less effective exercise, or do you just try and stay the course and make things interesting with the cardio you do or other activities you do outside the gym? I think you need to give yourself the opportunity to fall in love with the process first, right? So, you know, pick your staple exercises and apply the principle of progressive overload, right? And that should help you stay the course when you know what you lifted previously and how much you need to lift today and having that mindset of sort of quote-unquote beating your logbook or beating your previous session mm. should keep things interesting it's going to be goal-orientated and hopefully will help you like I say steer, steer the course yeah I think that's a really wise point you make is that you, you want to chase progression and that will make it interesting in itself because if I reflect on like my past 10 years of training if I you know, just even the workout I did recently, you know, I've always done some form, like some variation of a squat, a deadlift pattern, a press and a pull, right? Like I know that all exercises could make that up, but realistically that's not changed for the last 10 years. And even if I get a new program tomorrow, it's not going to look drastically different from what it did four, five, six, seven years ago. It might be put together in a, in a better way. But I think that what you find is that it is just the repetition of those basics over time. And it's not the variety in the training you're necessarily chasing, but the variety in the actual like, oh, I've lifted more than I ever have done before. And, you know, I'm lighter now. Right. And it's again about that chasing progression as well. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, genius in simplicity, right, and in basics. So we know the basics work, you know, uh, squatting pattern, uh, hinging or deadlift pattern, they push and the pull, and, you know, you can fluff it up with some accessory stuff, but largely keeping those staples in and then uh, keeping it, um, progressing it with different types of variety throughout the years is, is largely where you want your meat and potatoes to be in terms of your workout. No, I agree. And I find myself falling into that trap when I was a personal trainer in my very early stages, just wanting to pick exercises to excite the clients a little bit, but at the back of my no mind, knowing that oh, actually is the basics are going to work. And then I got to a point where I was like, I don't care how basic these, pro these programs are. People don't get bored of progress, right? So if they see themselves getting strong, they see themselves moving in the right direction, like you can kind of get yourself up to do, you know, the quote unquote basic, but potentially sometimes boring exercises as long as you're getting the return on investment, right? Yeah, I think this is the, the main difference between just working out and training, mm. right? There are how many young trainers out there 
you know, record the reps and sets and tempo and rest period. I know I did it in my first year or so, yeah. right? But once you progress into logging your numbers down and showing your clients, right, this is how much you lifted back then and this is how much you're lifting right now, that sparks, you know, uh, competitiveness and that's going to be, you know, super powerful for, for longevity in terms of training. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And what about people who are maybe a little bit more advanced? They do sports, they do, yeah, they, they do some form of martial art or something like that. Would they be in the same camp or would there be a rationale for them to use some slightly more different exercises? Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be very context driven, isn't it? Mm. Um, specificity is going to be the biggest component when factoring training um, programs. So it depends again, right? Off season, in season, um, are they trying to build muscle or not? You could argue, or we could go into the debate of, you know, whether an exercise is quote unquote functional or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just something, something that I learned in my course, uh, in my prescript course about you know, how muscles work. And this is where a deep understanding of a muscle's action versus a muscle's function yeah. comes into play, right? Which is really interesting. No, absolutely. And on that note as well, if someone is going to be, you know, outside of the CrossFit world where you have the WOD, right, which is the workout of the day. So you're naturally going to be changing the thing. And that's kind of part and parcel of CrossFit. How often should people be changing their workouts, changing their um, their session? I mean, actually their entire program, let's say, um, not even their, just their day-to-day workouts, if the goal is just improving body composition, building muscle, uh, burning body fat. I mean, I, I, would, I would never change a program before the eight to 10 week mark. I really don't need to. I know myself, I'm, I'm definitely within the sort of eight to, eight to 12 week range, right? And that's where you really see the progress, right? Because initially in your first four to six weeks, your numbers might be going up, but that's probably largely down to, you know, just executing better, right? And then becoming more familiar with the, with the, with the movement. And I think about if you had to, if you were to change your session up and your exercise up every six weeks, you're essentially burning three, four, five weeks just learning the movement, right? Precisely. It's after when you've ingrained that movement pattern and you know it, you can do it with your eyes closed, not saying you should, but um, <laughs> that's when you really see the, the progression in, you know, strength and muscle. And it's interesting to, to hear you say that as well because of like, and I'll add to this as well, is that, you know, even with someone who's done squats over and over and over again, your body still has to, and your body and your mind and your brain has to get back to executing that movement pattern effectively, right? Like for you, it's going to be eight to 12 weeks, but for someone who doesn't have that grasp on exercise execution, the way their body moves, it might take them, you know, six, eight, even 10 weeks to actually get fully you know, understanding like, okay, this is how I effectively execute this movement. And then once you've actually reached that point, then progress starts to happen, right? And like you said, if you're just skipping over, yeah, if you're training a workout every four to six weeks, like you might just be going through the process of relearning and relearning. And actually it's a good note because if that actually will get you with the sense you're making progress, you're like, oh yeah, I, you know, I lift, I lift more each time and each time. But in reality, you're just kind of going you know, you're cutting yourself short, right? If you're, if you're changing programs early. Yeah. I think what people don't realize is that weight training exercises are all skill-based, mm. right? It's, we're learning a skill, just like you're learning a new language or a new instrument, right? You wouldn't progress unless you had the basics down, right? So we need to treat each exercise as a skill. Some are going to be more difficult to grasp. Some are going to be more simple. So start with the basics and then progress from there. Yeah, 100%. And on that note as well, I always like to remind people that 
the difference with a skill in terms of like an instrumental language is that instrumental language will unlikely change unless you're getting like a new shaped guitar or you're learning it you're not going to learn a different language if you like, like if you're learning spanish it's going to still be spanish but if you pick up a 20 kilo dumbbell it's very different from a 40 kilo dumbbell and the difference between you know 60 kilos on a barbell is very different from a 100 kilo barbell so you might be doing the same skill but that load changes things massively right yeah which is why you know the incremental approach is going to be beneficial right so whether it's adding on an extra kilo or adding on an extra rep that's what we need to really need to be focusing on session to session because it's all accumulative, right? That compound interest. It compounds, it compounds massively, right? If you do that over a year, that's, uh, you know, it's like the story of the, the little boy who picks up the ox or something every day, right? From, you know, from being really small and does it over a whole year, every day for fixed screens, five days. And then by the end of the year, this ox is massive and still will lift it up, right? It's the same principle. No, I like that. And actually both topics have kind of finished on a bit of like long-term gratification rather than chasing the short term. So that's interesting. So let's transition on to the last section of today's podcast, which is going to be our mindset question. And I think something that we're both very passionate about is that we're not just about getting clients from A to B because of everyone can get from A to B. Staying at B is a whole different ball game, right? We don't have people, you know, right now, if you're listening, you've probably known someone or been someone who's got in shape. How many people do you know who, who aren't in the profession who have been in shape for five, 10, 15, 20 years, right? Like, maintenance long-term is huge. So I think a lot of it, of course, comes down to, you know, your nutrition, your training, but I think a large portion of it comes down to your mindset, right? So I would like to ask you, what do you, you know, what mindset tips and tricks do you have personally that's allowed you to maintain your body composition for all these years? And how, what do you instill into your clients to help them maintain their results for years and years to come? Yeah, great question. Again, like you say, I just want to echo just how important staying the course, you know, and turning it into a lifestyle is, is, you know, should be the, the main ultimate aim. So I think finding the diet that works for you, whatever form it is, is going to be key, right? So if, you know, doing keto works really well for you and you feel great on it, then choose keto. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to, that everyone should do it, mm-hmm. right? If vegan works for you best or going high carb works for you best, you just need to choose the right diet that makes you feel great that you can sustain and turn into a lifestyle, right? We don't, we never talk about, you know, the diet after the diet. Mm-hmm. What's in our faces at the moment are these 12 week transformations, the 16 week transformations where, you know, you're almost led to believe that you're going to have to change something um, in your lifestyle, your diet. And once you've finished, you know, however many weeks you come off the diet, right? But it's a, it's an evolution, right? And, it's kind of like, you know, the, the, um, the evolution of man. Mm-hmm. You've seen the, the evolution of man where you start as the, the little chimp and it grows into, yeah. you know, the Neanderthal and obviously the Homo sapien. It's like that, right? You, you, you essentially evolve into a new person and your, the way you live, the, the habits, your behaviors, the way you eat is all going to need to change in accordance to what suits you. Absolutely. And I think um, a very hard thing to overcome and something that, I think all of us will have to at some point. And even if you are a competitor, because I know I had this as well, um, even when I was competing, it's just like, there's this finish line mentality. You know, it's all about reaching the goal and then kind of 
once I hit the goal, things will go back to normal, you know, and you'll have friends and family asking you when you're dieting, when are you going to start eating normally again? And you get into this mindset that things are going to go back to normal. But the harsh reality of this is that if you want to maintain your results long term, the person, and like you said, and this is the evolution thing, the person who entered that diet is not the same human being that finishes it. And if you go back, you are, you know, de-escalating. You're going back in form of your evolution. I don't know what the opposite of evolution is, but you're regressing, right? And you wouldn't do that in life anyway. So that's where I think a lot of people have a, a tough time realizing that their identity to a degree will change, right? Like they can no longer, if they're the guy who goes out to the bar and is the one known to smash the most drinks, can't be that guy anymore, right? Well, you can't be, you might be able to, but like once a week or once every two weeks, it just really depends on where your priorities lie. But yeah, your whole behaviors and your habits and everything like that has to change, right? And really, for me, it comes down to a lot of identity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Your, your whole identity has a change, but that's not to say that, you know, you can't structure in some flexibility. Mm -hmm. Just, I think one of the, you know, the, the biggest things that we see, you know, you've, you've heard the whole 95% of diets fail, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, so the question is, what do the 5% do differently? And what we see is that those individuals practice some form of structured flexibility. They allow themselves that flexibility to go off piece once in a while, whether it's sort of a, the 80-20 rule or the 90-10 rule, they do things, the majority of things largely well, knowing that they have just a little bit of a treat or, or something fun for themselves, which is going to create a better environment where they can sustain the diet, essentially. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. And I think the the most challenging aspect is when you are coming out of a diet, it's just there's such a big contrast from how you entered, right? So yeah, you don't, you know, you don't have to be this newfound fitness person, this super health and conscious, health and conscious person that only eats X, Y, and Z foods. But because your mentality and your lifestyle prior to coming into a journey, which is the reason you started in the first place, is so different to where you finished, it's, you know, you've never experienced that mid-ground, right? And I think that people have a lot of tough time establishing where they fall within that line. And I, I made an Instagram video on the other day. I was like, it's not about choosing like what you want. It's about choosing the sacrifices and the problems you're willing to have, right? I think you've got to determine like, do I want to stay within two to three kilos of this weight that I've just lost? Or am I okay, you know, having an extra pizza a week, an extra beer a week and being maybe six to seven kilos heavier? I think once you establish what your priorities are and you, you know, you sit around there, then you can align your actions to them. And I, but I think the people are caught in the middle. They either think they prioritize health and wellness so much and want to be within touching distance of where they've just been, which makes sense, right? Because if you've just got this body that you've never had before, you want to maintain it. But the reality is, is they actually value friendship more. They value family more. They value those interactions that they have where food is present within those and they want to enjoy that food. And I think once you make that decision of where you, where you stand and what sacrifices and problems you're willing to have, you have a lot better chance of maintaining results long-term, right? Yeah. And just to come full circle, I think it's, it's about just making it as easy for yourself as possible. Mm. So some people can meal prep um, and makes it so much easier for them, you know, by saving them time throughout the week. Some people intermittent fast, some people remove whole food groups like keto, whatever works for you is just, it's going to be so much easier to, to sustain for the long term, right? Absolutely. And I think uh, something I've mentioned before is that just because it worked then doesn't necessarily mean it works now as well. So be prepared to transition. You know, if all of a sudden your work or you have a child and, you know, intermittent fasting is actually a really hard thing to maintain now, 
don't stick with it forever, right? And I think, I think what we should all strive for is having so much um, versatility, you know, within, okay, I can have carbs on this day, but predominantly I follow keto, right? And so I think, yeah, going down the route of extremes doesn't set you up for sustainability because if, if you go to a, an Italian, they only do pasta and pizza, but you're a keto person, like, you know, where do you go with that? So I think, yeah, you have to align your approach with your lifestyle. And as you mentioned, like the easier it is and the more sustainable it is, and that's what we do with our clients, right? It's like we ask them, what does sustainability look like to you? And then the approach is aligning with what it is to them because it looks different for everyone. But I think we have to realize that that's understanding first is important, but also that it takes time as well, right? To get to a place where potentially you and I are today. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, you, the whole saying about, you know, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. If, you're, if your partner is keto, it's going to be pretty hard for you to be high carb, right? And so hopefully your your, your values align, but ultimately, absolutely, yeah, you, you want to just make sure that, you know, that the whatever you choose is going to be in line with, you know, what you believe in, what works for you, and obviously the, the, the people around you as well. Agreed. I think we could open up a can of worms there, but I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. So thank you so much for your time, Danny. I think it was really, really valuable. If people want to connect with you more, they want to get to know more about Danny Lai, where do they find you online? Yeah, just, just follow me on Instagram at Danny underscore Lai. That's L-Y-9-0. So Danny underscore Lai 9 Thanks for having me on the show. No, you're more than welcome, Danny. So that's everything from us, guys. I hope that you took some valuable takeaways. If you are listening to this, take a screenshot, tag myself and Danny in it. We'd like to know what you took away from it specifically. Um, always like seeing those. Uh, follow Danny on Instagram. He's going to be far more active on the social media. I'm sure he will be. Yeah, he's smiling now. <laughs> so that's everything from us today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Take care and we'll speak soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.